it's heart wrenching when you when you hear somebody. How can somebody like that live on their own? I think that we all deserve equality. And part of getting there is educating the world <laughs> of what we do. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity to be able to share this experience and for other people to see that where we're hitting these corners and now we have COVID on top of it. I know for me personally, I can say I'm working three jobs right now and I'm still struggling to make ends meet. This is what we have. This is what the world is facing. Welcome everyone to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. I hope everyone is warm and safe. We're broadcasting today on a very chilly post two foot nightmare of a snowstorm we haven't seen in a couple of years. And we're joined today by two wonderful guests, wonderful individuals. They work with the Person-Centered Care Services. This is a non-for-profit here on Staten Island. They're members of the SIEDC, which is how we connected. So thank you to the SIEDC for that and the good work you guys always do. And basically the mission is to create social change by supporting people with disabilities on their search for identity and acceptance. This goes very deep, folks. This is a topic and and really the, the the core reason that we started this podcast was to be able to connect some dots for folks and to give people an opportunity to communicate. So we're joined today by Jacqueline Toko and Nicole Forgione, both with PCCS. And we're going to walk through basically the whole program, you know, some of the history, of course, we're going to get into learning a little bit more about Jacqueline and Nikki. That's like kind of our thing. But then we're going to talk about some of the very real challenges that they're experiencing out there, particularly on the housing side of things. And hopefully we can deliver some value and, and connect some dots for you. So with that, Jacqueline, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us today. <laughs> My pleasure. So let's talk, let's talk both about you as individuals. You're both doing God's work. It's really an honor and a privilege for us to have you here today. It takes remarkable people to do remarkable work. And uh, from everything that we've come up with, you guys are doing nothing short of remarkable work. So uh, when we have different guests on from different walks of life, we talk a lot about the origins. What is in the fiber of their DNA that makes them who they are? So to land in this type of work, I really believe in my heart, it takes a very special person. So let's start with you, Jacqueline. You are also a native Staten Islander. We're a few and far between, it seems now, but I'm also a native Islander. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how you ended up at PCCS and when did this kind of passion for helping the disabled, when did that really start to come to the surface? Has this been a, a lifelong thing or you know, when did that first come to the surface for you as you've landed in this role today? I grew up in Staten Island and I went to College of Staten Island for my bachelor's degree. I think like everybody else, I was just trying to figure out kind of like what I really wanted to do. You're very young at that age and you really don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. So I was first in, I went for sociology and then I realized I want, really wanted something that was a little bit more hands-on. I did a little bit more research and spoke to my advisor and I actually um, enrolled into the social work program at CSI. In the social work program, when I first went in, I really wanted to work in a school with young adults. That was kind of my goal at the end of the social work program. I did an internship at Legal Aid Society 
for juvenile rights, uh, which I loved. And I went on to grad school. I went to Monmouth University. Grad school, you also have to do an internship. My internship that I was originally at didn't really last long at all. I kind of needed like a quick placement to get my hours in. And I connected with one of our directors at PCCS Alexa and she gave me an internship there at PCCS. And this was in 2015-16. So this was my first time really working with this population. I didn't have any experience at all. Some of the things we're gonna talk about later, like stigmas and stuff, I definitely was part of that. And you know, I, I learned very quickly that those stigmas are just things that you're not really sure until you're in the field, you know, how accurate or how, I guess, judgmental people are, including myself. So that's kind of how I started working with the population. I interned at PCCS for a year. I then went on to graduate grad school and I worked for another nonprofit agency that supports people with disabilities in employment services. And then I happened to go back to PCCS about a year and a half ago. And now I work with Nicole. I oversee four different programs and our ISS, which is Individual Support Services Program, is a housing program we're going to talk about. That's one of our programs that is very, very rewarding. It gives people with disabilities an opportunity to live independently. And that's kind of how I got here. I have to say, you know, you're very young mm-hmm. and to have that level of self-awareness is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that most individuals, some never achieve that level of, of awareness, but most don't until later in life. So I applaud you for, and clearly you've got a track record here of working for the people, doing the good work for the people. So I commend you for that. I think it's it's really honorable. I think that we need more of that in today's world, considering the insanity that seems to be going on. So kudos to you for that. What part of Staten Island did you grow up on? Originally, I was from Bullshead and I moved to Huguenot. So kind of mid and then you slid a little south. I'm a North Shore boy myself. I'm a West Brighton boy. So (laughs) that's a great roll up. And uh, I'm glad that we have that context. Nicole, you are not a native Islander, but we'll excuse that. So (laughs) Brooklyn to Staten Island. (laughs) (laughs) My wife made the same move. What part of Brooklyn were you in? Uh, Bensonhurst. Bensonhurst. Okay. My wife was, uh, I don't know. Pete, where was my wife from? Like I, know that. No. Yeah. So, uh, and where are you on in Staten Island now? Now I'm in Bullshead. So, same thing. Did you have a similar path? I mean, have you always kind of been involved in this type of work, or? Well, I'm in the field about 18 years. I started this very young. I started at 16, kind of being introduced to the field. I had friends that I always kind of ran with an older crowd. I saw what they were doing, and I was like, "How do you?" what you do what? what what do you mean you take care of people like what do you mean you take care of people with disabilities like how, how does it even work so i decided to go to work one day she my friend had asked her boss if it was okay if i went to work with her because at that point i was in csi going to college and it motivated me because i saw the need that was there i saw the care and i'm, I'm a very caring person i mean it's just first nature for me if I could give this shirt off my back, I will. Don't have to know you. And what was great about it was as I was developing, I never knew that this would be my career. So I started out as a direct care support, you know, person who provided services as a direct support professional. And it was rewarding. And from there, I just kind of kept growing and developing my skills and learning more. And I went to school and I wanted to be a teacher at that point. And then I realized that teaching just wasn't for me because this job 
kind of is everything in one. I am a teacher. I'm a nurse. I am a family support. I'm an advocate. I am a painter when I need to be, you know, like I'm, I'm everything when they need me. Uh, so I found that very rewarding. And when you see people coming out of like homeless shelters with their families and they're being placed in apartments and the look on their faces when they can have their first Christmas together, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to see families grow and develop and live out their best life that they possibly can with the quality of care and support that they deserve. Been through a long journey. I mostly worked in group homes in the beginning, which is people that live together. Um, at that point, there was like 16 bed iris. Now, where we're kind of heading is not having so many people in a home scale it down to two or three people rather than 16 beds. They have their own living space. There's no more shared bedroom living. And then that kind of came in PCCS. I came here in 2013. So I'm there quite some time now. And they're like, hey, here's an ISS program. This is what it is. They laid it out to me. You have to help people find apartments to live independently on their own with the right supports in place. There's nothing that we can't do. We're going to figure this out together. And from there, we just grew and developed our program and it's been a blessing. It's, it's nice to see everybody grow and flourish. People that they said could never live on their own are living on their own and they're doing it day in and day out you know, with the right supports in place. So with their community rehabilitation worker who goes in and helps them with cooking, cleaning, or, you know, they, maybe they don't, you know, everybody lives for the first time on their own. I don't know. When I first moved out, I didn't know how to do certain things, you know, like I didn't know how to change a light bulb or something silly, you know, so we all need support and that's where we are now. So it's really great. For those of you in the audience that are not aware, and I say this to Jacqueline and Nicole with nothing but the utmost respect. The financial rewards in the non-for-profit world are not setting any records. Mm -hmm. So when you see good people like this doing the work that they're doing, and they talk about taking the shirt off their back, and they talk about really doing it to help, I can assure you that is absolutely genuine. While the financial rewards are not kin to some of the other things that you both may well have been doing, the rewards must be unimaginably just a whole nother level of feeling and emotional connection that I really think is amazing. You're, you're, transforming lives is what you're doing and you're helping those that need it the most. So for both of you to go down this path at such a young age and to do it out of sheer love for your fellow people is really remarkable. Uh, again, I really appreciate you guys and what you're doing. Keep up the great work. Uh, and with that, I think it's important that we peel the layer back a little bit and let's share with the audience what does PCCS do? Give us a really hefty kind of overview because I want to connect dots in as many places as I can. I know you provide a lot of services. The audience can kind of listen up here and, and see where they can be of help. I think that's really important. And then we can get into specifically the housing piece that we really wanted to do a deeper dive on today. So, Who wants to go first? There we go. Jacqueline, step right up. <laughs> Um, so yes, we do offer a wide variety of services. All of our services are pretty much ran through 
what's called OPWDD, which is Office for People with Developmental Disabilities. So there is certain eligibility criteria that um, a person must have in order to receive services from us. Some of the services that we provide, we have day habilitation, where it's Monday through Friday, nine to three. The people that we support are in groups and they do volunteer sites. They do Meals on Wheels. They do fun activities, going bowling. Now with COVID, I mean, things have changed drastically. Uh, we've been doing a lot of virtual stuff for Dayhab. We drop off packets. We have virtual classes. We pick the packets back up. We just started kind of using our building again to do very small groups as well, which has turned out really well because the people that are in Dayhab missed each other. You know, they need that interaction and they miss the staff. The staff missed them. So that's Dayhab in a very small nutshell. Um, that's for people who are 18 and older. Once people transition out of high school, that's another program that they could attend. So how does someone become eligible for a Dayhab event? Typically, the person would have to be diagnosed with an intellectual disability before the age of 22. That usually happens within the school year. So they usually already have a diagnosis. There's something called the front door session, which is ran through OPWDD. The person would have to go through the front door session. They get evaluations done. They collect any other evaluations that were done prior. That's how the, they would determine whether somebody is eligible for the services or not. And how do they contact you guys? So we have an intake benefit specialist. Her name is Lucia Rossi. And if anybody's interested, they could reach out to her and she could walk them through the whole process. She could give them the information for the front door. If they already went through the front door process, they're given what's called a care manager. So then in that respect, we would just need the care manager's information and some documents from the care manager to enroll them. Okay, great. Cole, walk us through some other programs. Specifically, the program that I oversee is called ISS and have, but ISS just stands for a subsidy program. So we offer rent, rent rental assistance as a, uh, as a uh, subsidy. We have community rehabilitation, which is staff that go into the homes to take care of people with development disabilities. They work on goals that are geared towards their needs. It's we're very person centered. So what I mean by person centered is everything is about the person. If the person wants to learn how to go for a driver's license, if the person wants to learn how to tie their shoes, like on a different scale of levels. We also have respite that Jackie oversees as well. So we have a range. We also have some group homes. We have two group homes on the island. We have employment. to employment, which they provide career supports. So they will give them the training that they need in order to go out and obtain a job and to sustain, you know, to stay with the job, they'll have a job coach that will go and assist their needs. If, you know, maybe they're not understanding how to out, how to outfile something the right way, the job coach will check in with their supervisors and their supervisors will explain to the job coach, we need to have Johnny learn how to organize this correctly. So, and then that's something they would take and work on. So in, in the instance where, for example, I think the driver's license was a great case study. Uh, how does this work? Do, does PCCS assign one individual that goes and, and undertakes this request? And is it that one person every day or is, does it change over? Is there continuity? Just walk me through the details there. The DSP rate, I would say the, the turnover rate is quite often high. Unfortunately, with DSP, I think it's a stepping stone for most career paths for people. But 
when you do have a stability in case, I mean, longevity, some people last about a year, two years, they do have set schedules that will help them kind of continue to work on their goals. Their goals don't change until they're ready to change their goals. So they are measured goals where we can help the person identify, I'll use a driver's license as an example. Maybe we'll start out with teaching signs and what the signs mean. And then maybe from the person knowing how to identify certain street signs, now we can teach them you know, the, the right foot goes on the gas, this is your break, and slowly but surely teach them how to drive and how to prepare for their, their driver's license exam and, and take it from there. So people, you know, the staff do their best to stay with this with the same with the same shift each time. So during, I'm sorry to cut you off, but during our interview process, let's say so, we know that certain people need staff, we do look at their goals and hire somebody to work with a person that we support on cooking if the person who we're interviewing doesn't know how to cook. Do try to match up the people that we're hiring with the people we support with similar goals or hobbies. Um, they Sometimes they have certain preferences, you know, they only want a driver, they only want a female or a male staff. So we have to take that into consideration as well, but we do our best to pair based on goals. So how from like a volume perspective at PCCS, is there a shortage of, of folks that are available to provide these services or, uh, you know, what, what does that look like? So we definitely had some struggles during COVID with staffing that seems to have increased now, thankfully. It really depends. It, it's hard to give a straight answer. You can, the person supported can also choose someone to be a self-hire for them, which means if they have a friend that they want to work with them on their goals, they can hire them. The only restrictions with that is the person cannot have the same address as them and it cannot be um, a legal parent or guardian. That's another way that we pair people as well. They could, it could be a cousin, an aunt, a sibling if they don't live in the home. So that also helps with pairing. I would say we're always looking for DSPs. It really depends on the cases we have available. Some people just want a staff Wednesday for one hour, and it's very hard to find a staff that's willing to go work for one hour. But I would definitely say we, we could use some more staff. So if you guys are interested, <laughs> go to pccsny.org and apply for um, our positions because we're always hiring. <laughs> is there any special licensing to become a DSP or is there any sort of things that you have to go through first or can they just go straight to the site? They could go straight to the site um, and apply online. It's the whole applications online. You do have to have either GED or high school diploma and be 18 years or older. Okay. Now, Nicole, you head up, as you had said, the ISS, Independent Supportive Services Division. And from what I understand, you're helping people find apartments and housing. And these are folks who in many cases had previously lived in shelters and nursing homes and, and, and other places. And in, in many instances, they were destined to stay there. And now you actually have people that you're placing living independently, which mentally must be such an unbelievably rewarding thing uh, and promote overall health for these people. And you have college graduates now on the roster. I mean, can we talk a little bit about the housing? Well, not a little bit. Really, I wanted to talk a lot about the housing component here and really walk the audience down what the process looks like, what the challenge is, and how we can help. I don't know where to begin, but I will begin somewhere. So how it starts out is the person will go to their care manager that we spoke about earlier, 
and they would say that I'm interested in applying for this subsidy. The care manager then would reach out to us and we would get the referral form. I then complete what's called an informational session just so the person is aware and they're able to understand what exactly they're applying for and the responsibilities of the person that is going to be required in order for them to live on their own. From there, we complete an assessment, a clinical assessment, to ensure that the person, we're not just sticking anybody into an apartment, right? So we want to make sure that the person is capable and able to live and support themselves on their own. From that point, I reach out to OPWDD and I ask them, can we get a conditional approval or some sort of documentation? So a lot of folks always say, well, where's your packet when I'm going through other realtors or, you know, a lot of people think right away Section 8, they think city FEPS. Um, This program, as much as it is like that, it's not like that. (laughs) So I'll explain further. Um, We get to the point where now we are searching for an apartment. What we run into is the housing markets. One bedroom is going anywhere right now between you could see the prices, fifteen to $1,700. Unfortunately, the people that we provide services to are on a fixed income through Social Security. Social Security's payout is very, very low for one person. With that being said, the, the challenges that we face is the, the housing prices. Our subsidy can cover up to $1,324, so $1,324 a month. That's not always the case. The person is still responsible to pay 30% of their income and anything over 1324. So if we're finding a bedroom, a one bedroom or a studio for that case, even some studios I see are almost 1500 right now. Doing the math, it's leaving these folks with two, $300 a month to live off of. That's not including paying their national grid, their con ed. Um, So those are the challenging things that we've been facing. I've also had a lot of landlords um, come to me, unfortunately. I don't know if it's so much, I don't like using the word ignorance, but um, it's heart-wrenching when you you hear somebody, how can somebody like that live on their own? Um, I think that we all deserve equality. And, you know, part of getting there is educating the world (laughs) of what we do. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity because to, to be able to share this experience and for other people to see that where we're hitting these corners and now we have COVID on top of it and nobody's moving in, nobody's moving out. People are afraid to go into certain buildings. Um, we also face, some people are in wheelchairs. There's not enough accessibility on Staten Island or there's not enough people that are willing to work with a program like ours for accessibility needs. And the accessibility one bedroom apartments are up to 17, 18, almost $1,900. So because somebody's in a wheelchair, their rent has to be three times higher. And I don't, I don't think that's right. <laughs> um, you know, so those, those have been the struggles that we're facing is finding the accessibility, finding apartments within the ranges of what people can actually afford, which I'm sure it's not just people with disabilities that are going through this struggle either. You know, I know for me personally, I can say I'm working three jobs right now and I'm still struggling to make ends meet. So this is what we have, this is what the world is facing, not just a person with a disability. So, yeah, I mean, the other struggles that we face is people understanding that it takes it takes time. You can meet the person, interview the person. If you're not comfortable, the money comes in from um, the person is, you know, the lease is usually between the tenant and the landlord. Uh, PCCS's name is not on the lease. That's, you know, the state's requirement. So that's how we have it in order to provide the subsidy. It is a government subsidy, so it will come monthly. It will be 
in your your um, direct deposit, we offer a lot of people say, well, what happens if OPWDD goes somewhere? That's a, a question that I get quite often. Um, OPWDD is not going anywhere. It's been around for beyond years, probably just even longer than Section 8 at this point. Um, so there is no landlord bonuses. That's the downplay of our program where Section 8 does have a landlord bonus. And I realize a lot of realtors will say, well, I need the packet. And I'm like, we don't have a packet. The requirements are is that it's a legal family, a multifamily home if it's in a residence. If it's a building capacity, we need to have working heat, hot water, smoke detector, carbon monoxide machine that works. Um, that's really our requirements. So it's important that people know that too, because like I said, the packet thing becomes frustrating because there's nothing I can show you. Like this is just a tenant as if you or I were moving to, to remove that piece. So, so many, so many things here. So many topics. <laughs> the, the 1324 is the number, regardless if it's a studio or a four bedroom, that's the number. That's the number for a one bedroom or a That's studio. For a one bedroom we or predominantly find people that need one or you know one bedrooms. Um, two bedroom is fourteen. It's fourteen and change. I think fourteen sixty three around there. The three bedroom I believe is like eighteen hundred and you know and change. I don't have the exact numbers on me right now, but and that's the max that they could get. That doesn't mean everybody's getting that. Like just because you're in the program doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a subsidy for that amount. So you have a single mother who's coming out of a shelter with four children and they need a three bedroom. It's possible that they can't even afford a three bedroom. So we'd have to, you know, remain them in a shelter until we can find somewhere that they can live. So, you know, at a time when, uh, let's call it what it is, we've seen a mass exodus out of New York. Um, I tour buildings in Manhattan all the time, um, from the luxury buildings to the affordable buildings. I was in a complex just, uh, t- was it Tuesday, Wednesday? I don't even know what day it is anymore. One day this week. And uh, it was a sizable complex. And there were 2,000 units vacant because folks had kind of picked up and moved out of Staten Island, when um, out of Manhattan, rather, when coronavirus hit and haven't been back yet. You know, and they're not really sure where this is headed or where it's going to go. They don't know if the leases are going to remain, if they're enforceable, if people are coming back. Uh, but the point is that we went from having a housing crisis on one side where we don't and we still don't have nearly enough affordable product on Staten Island uh, or in New York City at, at all, to now a situation where because of the pandemic, there's a lot of folks who have left and are not coming back. So have you had any discussions with elected officials about trying to maybe backfill some of these units and um, giving an opportunity for you? I mean, like, is there like a list you guys have uh, one person ready to be placed, 10 people, 100 people? You know, how big is the problem? So the problem is big when you add all the nonprofits together. Um, I have reached out to the mayor's office for people with disabilities to see what they can do to assist us um, with this matter. And we reached out to local officials to say, you know, support our cause. We were facing budget cuts on top of this recently where they were going to do a 20% withhold from all nonprofit organizations for renting subsidies. Thank God that went through. (laughs) So we face so many different challenges on a daily basis. And I just feel like some is always better than none. So if you have these vacant apartments, 
as a landlord, I, I own property as my, you know, myself. And I always say that some is better than none. If I can help somebody be in an apartment, yes, they can't give me 1800 because that's the going rate, but I can get 1300 and have a wonderful tenant with wonderful people behind it supporting me. Isn't that better than nothing? And people, unfortunately, you know, I, I try to change the view. I can't change everybody's view on life, but I try to get people to really understand and see that these folks, they, they come with a lot. They come with a lot of, of good things along with them. They're just like you or I. And with all these vacant buildings that are out there, um, hopefully someone's hearing this that will turn around and say, hey, you know what? This is great. If she has 10 people that need one bedrooms, we also have a capacity limit of how many people with developmental disabilities that we can place in one area. So we want to be able, if you have a building of 20 people, we want to be able to place 20 people in the building. It has to be integrated. Because we moved away from if I put 20 people in one building, it, it sort of becomes a um, like an institution and like institution. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so it becomes sort of like an institution. And we, we don't want that. We want to be as mixed and involved with the community. I, I don't even like using the word community because we really use that word on a daily basis. Um, but we want to be integrated, right? We want to be together. And that's that's the goal eventually is to have everybody. So that uh, that's one of my biggest arguments against fully affordable buildings. The cross-section and the socioeconomic crossover and the connections and just the interactions that occur in an 80-20 or 70-30 building when you have people of all different walks of life, all different um, economic backgrounds, all different cultural backgrounds, that's how dots connect, right? That's where these opportunities are created uh, and you have an opportunity for people that come from very different walks of life, they can kind of peer into how others are living and what their issues are. And I agree with you wholeheartedly when you start to take that cross section out and you, because you want to increase uh, the affordable count, uh, the damage that's done in my opinion, far outweighs uh, the other solutions where you need to have that cross section. You need to have people, um, you know, when we were doing uh, the Empire Outlets RFP, we were uh, talking with uh, Pastor Seawood, who has since passed. And part of our community outreach, he had said, you know, we have uh, a bunch of kids that want to learn how to play instruments. And uh, we have the church, we have the place for them to do it. Uh, but we can't get our hands on on instruments. What we have is is so outdated, you know, that they don't work anymore. And one of the people from the development team said, well, wait a minute, I, I sit on, I don't remember what board it was, uh, but they were like, you know, we throw these instruments out at the end of the year and we replace them. Boom, there's a connection, right? That never would have happened if you didn't have, and I've, I've always been a big believer in make everyone come sit at the table, talk through it because dots will connect and good things will happen. You guys are facing a, a genuine housing crisis at this point. And I have to pray that there are people in the audience that can look past just the bottom line and look, I, I get it. I understand the pressures, especially today. Coronavirus has had such a devastating impact on the real estate market, on every market. Um, and we're seeing now the other side of the shutdowns, 20% cuts, you know, for non-for-profits and things get tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, this hit every market, every business. I mean, th this just crushed everyone. And the 
while I certainly understand the, the reasons for some of the things we did, we have to get back to work and we have to get back open because the economic impact is so far and is so wide and is so devastating. I'm not sure we're going to recognize what New York looks like in a few years from now. For the audience, uh, if you have apartments that are vacant, these amazing folks have people that are looking to find some independence. Yeah, I'd also like to share a story that's moving. It was, it was very moving to me. It's one of my first moves that I did with PCCS. And this person, he was a young male in his early 30s living in a nursing home. They told him he could never go anywhere. This person now has been living on his own. He has graduated with his master's degree. He has, it brings, it still brings tears to my eyes. I'm sorry, I get very emotional. But they told him he could never do it. He could never leave this facility. He needs ongoing care. And like I said, with the right supports in place, he was able to do it. And he's came such a long way. And that those are the moments that we live for. You know, we're all human. We're all human. We're all going to need something at some point. We're all going to be disabled. We're all going to get older. And, and that's the point is that we're all going to eventually, whether we end up on Social Security when we're older, whether we have a nice savings plan or not, you know, we all end up back to where they are on a daily basis from birth. That's the deepest thing I can discuss with you guys. You're getting me choked up now. Sorry. <laughs> where does the the majority of your funding come from? It comes from the state. So from OPWD, it's a government funding. It it, it under it comes from the government. I assume that there is a way that folks can make do- donations directly through the organization. So yes, they can go to pccsny.org and they can make a donation there. Um, we also would take donations um, for, you know, housing stuff. So like sheets, pillows, but obviously pretty new stuff, um, if that's possible for sheets and bedding and towels and, you know, utensils, things you don't think about on a daily basis, pots and pans end up going, um, cooking supplies. Our, Our folks, they use a lot of food pantries and things like that to make it day to day because of, you know, the struggles. A lot of the people in our program actually have jobs and they lost their jobs during COVID. Um, so now they're trying to make ends meet too, and they have families of their own, and they're trying to homeschool their children who need supplies for school. So, you know, it, it runs really deep, our program. It runs very deep. How do you guys cope with, I mean, I'm, I'm like fighting very hard to not fall apart, and I'm talking to you for, you know, 40 minutes here. Uh, how do you guys p- keep it together? I mean, is there, are, are there supportive services for you? Are there people that you guys get to talk to? I mean, this has got to be an unbelievably emotionally taxing job. Me and Nicole talk to each other. <laughs> we all have each other. Um, that's the great thing about PCCS, though, I would say, is that it is, it is and will always be like one of the best teams I've ever worked for. The support there is unbelievable. Um, whatever we need, we all, if someone needs something, we stop what we're doing. You you could trust me. We all have those days at work where you want to pull your hair out of your head, you know, but to relate to it, like you end up laughing later about it. Like, Oh my God, remember last week when this happened and now look at us now we're, we're moving and grooving again. Or I was just joking around today, um, with another person in PCCS and was like, first the pandemic, now we get hit with snowstorms, like the moves just keep getting put, you know, pushed back and we're just fighting. I feel like we're fighting the world, you know, and I'm sure everybody feels that way in their own way right now with this, everything that's going on, you know, trying to, 
make sure everybody wears their mask and stay safe and vaccinations. And it just, it's so much goes into it, but the support, you know, we have each other. <laughs> yeah. Our team is very, very supportive and we're a bunch of social workers at PCCS. So you could imagine that we all have the very same mindset and, you know, we're all supportive for each other. If we need anything, we'll pick up the slack for somebody else, even from upper management to, you know, the DSPs We're it's really like a big family, to be honest. It's it's really nice. So you could say what what you, what you want about Staten Island. One thing that I've learned over the last 45 years I've been here is that we do come together in times of tragedy. I've seen uh, after 9-11, <clears throat> after the 08 crash, after Superstorm Sandy especially, remarkable acts of kindness, remarkable acts of charity. What message do you want to send to the business community, to the overall listeners of the show? And what specifically would you ask for them to do? Is it financial donations? Is it, uh, I know that we need the housing stock and I'm certainly going to endeavor to try and help solve for that with you within my network, but what's the best way that people can help? I think the housing is definitely one aspect of it and financial donation at this period of time would be most beneficial where the agency can put it to in a good use to whichever program needs it the most right now, but it takes in a village. Yeah. And I would say, you know, you could help in so many ways. That's why I think it's really hard to pick one. You Just by referring somebody to apply as a, as a DSP or a staff member of PCCS is helpful, you know, so that we could give somebody a staff to work on their goals. Just financial, we've, we did a fundraiser a few months ago to buy technology for our programs because now that everything's virtual, um, you know, things are a little different, but we provided technology, iPads um, to help with doing schoolwork. Uh, we, we're doing like a photography group so cameras, um, we asked for, what else? Oh, like specific pr programs that they could put on their computer or device, um, apps, you know, buy apps so that we could do these things with them virtually. It, there's just so much that would be helpful. And I think it's very hard to choose like one way. Apartments, we need apartments, of course, to, to place people to live on their own. Donations, like Nicole had said before, if you have any utensils, pots, pans, sheets, um, anything, household items, um, you know, if anybody has anything to give, you could reach out to us and we'll, we'll make it work. You know, we, we go pick things up from people and drop them off. Nobody has to go out of the way, but I, I think anything anybody might have to give, we could, we could figure something out. <laughs> and if you're not sure, just ask, um, yeah. you can definitely email us and just ask, and you know, we can let you know if, there's a need for it. We're not going to take if there is no need for it. Um, it would go to good use. We may even say reach out to this agency because we know that they're looking for the need. So we can help each other. That's what we tend to do is just really help each other. I'm going to ask for you to, again, give the contact information for, is it different? If it's household items, is it this person? And if it's apartments, is it this person? If it's a, a check, is it that? Who are the specific people? Is it one person in general? Uh, I want to make this as easy as I can for the audience to to step up here and and to help their neighbor in any way that they can. So if you can one more time, just slowly go through that again, who, who the contact people are. So we have an info um, email address and they can, if 
you have a donation, if you have somebody maybe interested in services or a specific program, or you have somebody that you want them to apply, you can email this email address, which is info, I-N-F-O, at pccsny.org, and it gets filtered out and sent to the direct party that it needs to be sent to. So it's info, I-N-F-O, at pccsny.org. Okay. That's probably the easiest way. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to cover today? I mean, I mean I know this has been... I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we yeah, have. So much. If anybody has any questions or, you know, you want to learn more, feel free to reach out. They'll direct the email to us. You know, if there's anything you think of something later on, maybe we can definitely reach out, you know, touch base. Well, I can promise you as a company, you'll be hearing from us and we're certainly going to do what we can. And, and again, folks, I know it's it's an impossible time. It's just an impossible time for everybody financially, emotionally. We're exhausted and everyone is has taken their hits here, but it's easy to cut checks and it's easy to step up when you're rocking and rolling and it's really hard to do it now. So if there's any way that the listeners can do something here meaningful, look, like you said, we're all human beings. We're all, you know, the same. And, uh, we'd be well served to listen to these two young ladies because, you know, I have to say Jacqueline and Nicole, uh, you're remarkable people. Uh, God bless you for what you're doing. We'll be in touch. If there's anything specifically that we can ever do, please don't hesitate to reach out and uh, please keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're setting an absolutely amazing example for the rest of us. And uh, God bless you both. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I think this is the most important podcast we've done to date. So uh, if, if we can, please, let's get together as Staten Island always seems to do and uh, see if we can't step up and, and help out one more time. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe.